All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Scott Hanton. Scott is a PhD chemist with over 30 years of experience in the lab who has recently changed careers to media. He is now the group editorial director at Lab Manager, responsible for the editorial team for four science-based brands. So Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lisa. I'm happy to be here. So Scott, share with us a little bit about your background and what led you to doing what you're doing. It's an interesting story. I was a good student. I liked math and science. I went and got a PhD in science and I thought my path was clear until one day my boss came to me and said he wanted me to be a supervisor and then he wanted me to be a group manager. And that's not what science is, but he saw in me things that I didn't see in myself. And it's been a great journey being a lab manager for a long time. And then more recently, taking this knowledge into the media, working for some magazines, where my goal is to share my experience as a longtime scientist and lab manager with people who are in those careers or who wish to be in those careers. And my goal is to help them prevent the scrapes and bumps and scars that I have from learning it on the job. And maybe I can facilitate a little learning and make their journey a little more pleasant. Wow. One of the things that you just said about your manager seeing more in you than you saw in yourself even, that's such a it's such a mark of what makes up a good manager because they are not always the easiest people that we report to, but for some reason they see bigger things than sometimes we see in ourselves. So see what happens? It's remarkable, actually, that people get, and I was one of them, so focused on the tactical work that was needing to be done that I didn't realize that I had broader strengths and skills that could benefit the organization. And I needed someone to point it out. And that lesson wasn't lost on me. And I've done it as a manager as well. And I know one of the things when you and I connected at an event I was speaking at, I was, I was so intrigued by a couple things that you're doing. Number one, the focus on the workplace culture that you have, but also the fact that you have a totally, you are in charge of a totally remote team right now that I know has, that has been a real struggle for some people in these last two and a half years, because how do you connect with people when you're not sitting in the room drinking coffee with them? So I want to start, first of all, with culture and what are some of the things that you've seen, that you've done, that you've incorporated that have really helped you in your career? When it was time for me to leave the lab environment and start something new, one of the things I specifically looked for was a company with a positive organizational culture. And one of the things that I really liked about the LabX Media Group is right on their webpage, when they're talking to potential recruits, they state categorically that we have a positive culture and we're going to have fun. And I was really looking for that as part of my next career. I'd had enough grind in the laboratories and I needed to do something surrounded by people who were enjoying themselves. And I can really see it in this culture. Some of the things that I like about this culture is they know how to celebrate. 
So we stop and we cheer each other on and we thank each other for the work that we've done. And it doesn't always happen at year end. It happens along the way when the projects get done. Another thing that I really like about the culture is that it's candid. And so we can speak our mind. We can say what's important. And that's everybody in the room. It could be the newest employee in the most junior position and the room will stop and listen no matter how many gray-haired people like me are around the table. And so we really value everyone's opinion and we can have a candid discussion about what we want to accomplish or what's going wrong without anybody feeling like that was a dumb idea or I don't have the authority to speak or my experience isn't noteworthy. And so those things to me make for a fun place to work. And besides the fact that the people are awesome and it's just a real joy to work with them. And I think creating that safe environment, I think it was a audio book that I was listening by Gary Vaynerchuk that was talking about, it had a whole chapter on radical candor and being okay with being, you're still being respectful, but that open, honest, what's going on. And like you said, no matter what position they are in the organization, that everybody feels safe to share their opinions. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's part of our responsibility as leaders to provide both the emotional and psychological safety for everyone who's in the organization. You can't. How do you think that happened? Was it was it always like that, or did it take somebody to to come in and start the process? Because at the beginning, it seems that employees would test you as far as how much they can get away with before they realize that this is real and we really can share. I think the company started off small with people who really trusted each other. And as in, in an entrepreneurial spirit, they needed every idea they could get their hands on. And so they were successful by trusting people and taking their ideas and pushing them out into products and into the marketplace. And that then became part of the culture. I think our owner, Bob Cafado, is just a really wise man, and he attracts talent and he listens to them. And that's a hallmark to me of a really successful business leader. And again, just being able to be open to people who are walking in who may not know the industry, but they see the world differently. They have different they have different accesses to technology. They have different knowledge levels. And even though they don't know your industry, doesn't mean that they can't come up with some really good ideas if they're just listened to. For example, we hired a new person maybe a month ago, and the project that we hired her for was a little late to start. So she had a little time on her hands at the beginning. And now she's come up with a software application that none of us had ever heard of before. But it's now going to be a key new product for all of the four brands that I'm responsible for. And it was just a blank sheet of paper, you know, new idea but she had skills and knowledge and understanding that none of the rest of us had. And even though she was in her first month, this idea has been recognized, it's been celebrated, and we are pushing it forward right now. Wow. So what are some of the things that you do to celebrate? One of the things that I do specifically is that every meeting that I host, remember this is a remote team, so we're all squares on a screen is the very first agenda item for every meeting is celebrations. And every team member is encouraged to participate. No one's forced to share. 
but we encourage people to share and we want to get well beyond the work celebrations. We want the family, the children, the grandparents, we want all the celebrations. And that starts a lot of nice discussion at the beginning of our meetings and allows us to get to know the people better and what's important to them. And I budget 10% of every meeting that I run as this informal sharing time that starts with celebrations. Wow, and that's so important because let's talk about that from the remote team standpoint. So you're starting off with celebrations. What are some of the other ways? Because not only are you running a remote team, but you are hired remote. So it's not like you ever, you and these people were working together in person and all of a sudden poof overnight, you started that way. So take us back to the beginning as far as initial contact, building the relationships and how that has blossomed to what you've made it today. Yeah, so I was hired during the pandemic and we were still figuring out how to do remote onboarding. And so it, it was a struggle. But one of the things that benefited me is I was given a mentor, an onboarding coach, somebody that I could go to anytime with any kind of dumb question. And I did. I asked lots of dumb questions. And that process benefited me so much that now we use it for all of our new hires, that they get an onboarding coach who's not their supervisor. Right? People are reluctant to ask their supervisor what they think might be dumb questions or to ask the same question five times. But the whole role of this onboarding mentor is to do that and to not only make them feel comfortable and show them access to information, but also model for them what behaviors are successful. And so we choose the people who we want their behaviors modeled and copied. So are they peers? Are they colleagues? What level in the organization are your, do your onboarding coaches come from? They can come from anywhere. Most of the time it's peers simply because we have most of those kind of employees. But if the right onboarding mentor is above them hierarchically in the organization or below them hierarchically in the organization, that doesn't matter. It's about how they can help the new employee. Yeah, I think in a lot of the programs that I do, onboarding is just consistently such an important part of the whole retention process because you have that really vulnerable time between when the offer is made and when the person actually starts. And if they don't feel the connection with you, whether it be phone calls or a welcome email or a welcome package or a swag bag in the mail sent to them or and making that first day magical. Like in your case, it sounds like they have the onboarding coach that comes in, but whoever that connection is to just make it as memorable as possible. It sounds like you've done some really great things with onboarding. Anything else besides that coach that has also helped in that process? We actively plan the first day, the first week, and the first month of a new employee. So there's long checklists of activities that need to be accomplished that the hiring manager is responsible for, but that all of us on the team contribute to. And again, we want to make that, just what you said, we want to make that experience memorable and magical to make them feel included as quickly as possible. I think that belonging is a really powerful force for most of us as humans. And we want, most people want to belong. And we want people to feel like it's easy to belong with us, that we want to sand down the rough edges and fill in the potholes 
and make that path to full belonging as easy as possible. The other thing that we do is we carefully craft 30, 60, and 90-day objectives so they know immediately what's expected of them, and they're going to get feedback right away to help correct issues or to help them find the people or the information that they need, because I think most people want to feel like they're contributing, they're getting paid, and they want to be attached to the purpose and the mission of the organization, and they don't want to just be reading all the time. So we want to get them to the point where they are actively contributing to the organization as quickly as possible. And again, taking that extra step being remote of really letting them know the goals so that they're not out there flailing, like (laughs) go swim with the sharks and see if you sink or swim. (laughs) And as a remote organization, it's hard for somebody who's unsure to just wander down the hall and ask questions. The hallway is virtual. They may not know who they need to wander into. And so a lot of what we're doing in the first month is introducing them to a wide range of people and not just the name and the face and the role, but what are they doing? How can they help? What sort of knowledge do they have? And then to set up meetings so they get comfortable talking to these people and feel like They can set up a little Zoom call, a 10-minute one, and get a question answered, just like they might wander down a hallway in a brick and concrete sort of environment. And is that something that you set the one-on-one meetings with different people, the different introductions for those 10-minute meetings, or how do those happen? As soon as their email is active in our system, so before day one, we can then schedule meetings for them. And so the hiring manager is going to schedule a wide range of meetings with people. So it shows up on their calendar right away when they show up. And here's people that they need to know. And then we'll review that list of people with them so they have context and they're not just going into a meeting blind. Wow. That just, it makes so much sense (laughs) to, to do that. Let's go back to day one. What does day one look like for that person? So there's a formal company onboarding that's run by our HR department, and they're going to go through the whole company and the procedures, the employee handbook. One thing I really like about this company is it has an employee handbook that makes sense. It's not legalese. It's not thou shalt. It's a we are document. And so they go through that in detail. We'll go through where is information stored? How do the different systems work? And it's not a 15 minute, let's go as fast as we can. She usually schedules two hours. So there's lots of time for questions and lots of time for interaction to make sure that the person has a good foundation. The next step in the process is to talk to the hiring manager directly. And they should have had multiple conversations. That person led the interview, probably communicated the offer, right? There's been a lot of interaction between the new person and the hiring manager before day one. But now it's to reinforce, we are so excited to have you here. Here are the reasons we are so excited. And let's start talking about how you can help us. We'll go through our objectives. We'll start the roadmap. We'll give the background information about the people we're going to meet. But we also want to leave time for questions. And in every meeting along this journey, this onboarding journey, we're going to probe the new employee for what questions they have. Because none of us are mind readers. And while I might think that the onboarding process was designed very well, we may want to make it tailored to the individual. And the only way to do that is to make it safe enough for them to speak their mind. And that starts on day one. Then the group manager 
will interact with the person to talk about the broader role, the bigger organization, the purpose. And in many times, day one's done then. But now we're going to get into meeting the teammates and figuring out just how they fit into this team so that they can learn from them they can bring their skills and talents and we can go do something new and exciting. And let's back it up just a little bit even more than that. How do you determine the right people to even hire who you, how do you figure out who's going to be successful in this remote environment? I saw this line from Southwest Airlines years ago and it was higher attitude and trained skill. So we are very much looking for people who have the right attitude, who will join and contribute to our group and company culture and not detract from that culture. So we have certainly looked at resumes that are fantastic, right? All the big gold stars that you would expect from a resume, but after a phone screen, it's like, hmm, no, doesn't really mesh with where we wanna go. Isn't showing any kindness or compassion or empathy. And those are things you've got to have to be successful in this sort of virtual environment. And so the skills, we can train them. We have people who can train them. If we find somebody who really has the passion and the perseverance that we're interested in, if they don't have a particular skill that we have, we'll teach them. And we're not going to let, you know, some perceived gap in a resume stop us from hiring the right human being. Wow. And this is all the remote, but before you started, you before you had this remote career, you also saw a culture from the in-person. And one of my favorite things that we've talked about is, of course, the red bandana. So tell us some of the things about what you did with your culture and what in the world I'm talking about with that. <laughs> So what Lisa's referring to is a long career in analytical research labs and in contract labs. And the lab life can be a grind. So people that get, to, they are executing these tactical bench experiments and they're hard. Life in a research lab is difficult and challenging. And so we have to support each other. And one of the ways that I wanted to support the lab staff was to be directly available to them in times of crisis. And so every new employee received on day one from me a red bandana. And the concept was, here is your red flag. I'm the general manager of the organization and I'm a very busy human being. And I attend meetings all the time and I'm on calls all the time and I can't walk down the hallway without somebody stopping me. But if there's a problem and you think I can be part of the solution, seek me out and throw that red banner at me. So maybe I'm in the middle of a meeting. Maybe I'm in on a call with a customer. And if that red flag comes flying, you are now my top priority. And if it comes flying with tears or blood or some other <laughs> indicator of urgency, then I'm going to excuse myself from that meeting and I'm going to give my full attention to that employee and that issue. And it worked. I would get about one red bandana a month was something that was truly important to the individual. And sometimes they were things that I could readily fix, a decision that I need to make. Other times they were complex, big picture, strategic issues that took time and energy to address. But if they don't throw the red bandana at me, then I don't know that it's, it's a crisis for them. And it may be a lower priority for me. One of my best days in the lab was walking past a, a conference room and hearing 
two of the employees talking and one person saying, you should throw that red bandana. And the other one saying, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure it's that important. And the other one saying, do you believe it's that important? Yes, then you should throw it. And I just kept walking down the hallway, but within minutes, somebody had chased me back to my office and thrown a red bandana at me. And that told me that this process worked, that the staff were reinforcing it and they trusted that if they threw the red bandana, that things might not be solved, but they were gonna be better. And they were, the person was gonna be supported through whatever their crisis was. And I think the fear that people listening to that idea would have is that you would just have people throwing willy-nilly throwing red bandanas at you all day long. But when you take the opportunity to trust your employees that these really are red bandana moments, then they trust you that you're going to act on it. And that's right. And it it was never a problem. From the first day that I instituted it, which probably meant that I went and bought 30 or more red bandanas because I had to start on one day with all the employees in the lab. It was never a problem. It, did I get two in a day? Sure. But did I get one from one individual every day or every week? No, it was not a problem. And so I think you have a good point. It is valuable to leadership to trust the staff. If you are doing your recruiting and your hiring and your onboarding and your training and your developing properly, then they've earned our trust. Exactly. And that's just creating that culture where it's safe for people because there's way too many times too that in, in your case, it doesn't sound like you had a lot of those people, but there's always going to be employees that are going to take advantage of you. There's a very small percentage you try these things and they just try to jack the system. But unfortunately, a lot of managers will make their decisions based on the 2% of the employees who are going to jack them versus the 98% of good, solid, hardworking people that they have. So we really have to get to that level of trust, which is what it sounds like you certainly built there. A positive culture is driven by addressing the needs of the many not the needs of the few. And my strategy with poor performers was to change the situation. We were either going to work with them, develop them, get them the training they needed or the teaching that they needed and turn them into people who could meet their objectives or it was time to part ways. Right. And we were committed to not letting the bad apple spoil the batch because Part of a leader's responsibility is to protect everybody else from toxic personalities. And I'm not talking about somebody who is going to be violent. I'm just talking about somebody who is constantly undermining the morale of the team around them. Right. And I don't care how good you are at what you do. If you harm our community or our culture, you don't have value. And it's time for you to change or to leave. Yeah. And it's never, ever easy to fire anybody, no matter how horrible that person is, because, of course, you're not only firing them, but you're impacting their family, their livelihood, everything else. But you can't afford to keep somebody who's going to then take it out on the rest of your good team and perhaps start causing your best people to leave. Leaving is a clear data point that you have a problem. But it's harder to see how 
all of their performance just decline to the lowest common denominator, right? That one toxic employee is just dragging everybody else down. I had one situation where we did have a problem and we had an issue with an employee, worked with that individual for months to try to get their performance changed, didn't work, finally let them go. The usual difficult decision that leaders face. Immediately thereafter, I had the rest of that team, one by one, come into my office and say, thank you. We can now get on with our lives. The, our team is now stronger, higher performing, more productive at N minus one. Right, because they exactly. weren't dealing with all the toxicity, all the rework, all the problems. There was so much energy from that team in dealing with that one individual that now could be turned toward the science that they all wanted to do. Right. What are some of the other things that you've seen when it comes to workplace culture and creating that positive culture? One that I like a lot that is resonates with what you talk about is gratitude. So when we were in person, we had a gratitude jar by the front door of the lab and a pad of paper and a set of pens. And anyone could write a thank you note on that pad and put it in the jar. And once a month, we had an all-hands meeting, and I, as the general manager, would stand in the front of the room and read them all. Wow. And it started off, there'd be one or two, or maybe there were two, and I wrote them both, right, at the beginning. But by the end, I had to budget time in that meeting because that jar was full. And people were really, they really liked that process. And I've heard from them that has survived my departure. And that's great. It's now part of their culture. And they all own that part of the culture. I've heard that so many times at the beginning when you start your meetings with either giving people kudos or saying thank you or doing notes like you were doing with yours, that at the beginning, it was kind of people were a little hesitant, but by the end, you have to budget time because people don't want to shut up. It feels good. It feels good to give re recognition. It feels good to receive recognition and also to create that cycle where people are just as comfortable telling you, the boss, how much they appreciate you as you are telling the rest of them and they are telling each other. We create this whole cycle of appreciation where it's good for everybody. I believe that humans are reciprocal and they will largely treat people the way they are treated. And so if we treat them in a supportive, compassionate, empathetic way, then they will behave that way and they will treat others that way. You want people to care, then care about them. Absolutely. So as we're getting to the end of our time together, if somebody listening to this said, man, I would really like to start to turn my culture around, what would be a good and simple way for them to at least get started? One good place to start is a book by Daniel Coyle called The Culture Code. So that's a good place to start. He talks about the importance of purpose, the importance of vulnerability, and the importance of emotional safety. And it's an easy read. Coyle's a good storyteller, and he's got great examples from across the industry. Other places that you can go is the Lab Manager website. We talk about this. We publish on it on a regular basis. And I'm now putting together some e-learning courses through the Lab Manager Academy that teach the elements of 
people management and lab management and how you can include a more positive culture into your organization. There's lots of other resources out there. The Association from Lab Managers, ALMA, is a good source. And the Center for Positive Organizations have lots of information on this topic. And that's largely where I go to get my my needs met, is to, to talk to the CPO folks, learn something new. Well, and the most important thing is that you read these things and you actually do something with it. Imagine that. I mean, it, isn't that the point? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Scott, if somebody did want to get a hold of you and continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to do that? I would encourage them to reach out to me in LinkedIn. I'm happy to have these conversations. Email is also good. And Lisa can share my work email with this group. And I'm interested in people who want to share their stories, have tips and tricks. And I like, I really enjoy the peer counseling of leaders to leaders talking about what has worked or what challenges they face. We all have things to contribute and we all have things to learn. Wonderful. Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Manufacturers Network Podcast. Do me a favor and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow this network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either send your buddies to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the Manufacturers Network podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. Thanks again, and I appreciate you.